Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast that dives into the world of zero trust and tells the story of people who are adopting it. Throughout our series, we'll investigate why zero trust is becoming a critical concept for cybersecurity. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of AZT, or Adopting Zero Trust. I'm Elliot, your producer, alongside our co-host and the, the primary interviewer, Neil Dennis. And today we have a wonderful uh, couple of guests that we're going to be able to chat with something that I know Neil has poked in probably every episode that we have recorded in the first season and probably leading up to this season too. I feel um, violently but... attacked at the moment. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I only mean that is in, in love and inspiration that, you know, this is just one of those critical pieces of zero trust and not even just zero trust, but cybersecurity in general. But, you know, without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest today. So over at Bitwarden, we have Michael, which is the CEO and Gary, who is the chief, co- correct me on your title, Gary. Chief customer officer. Thank you. Yeah. There we go. Chief customer officer. So highly integrated, gets to have all the fun conversations with customers, fully understands their pain points. And you know, it looks like Neil's got something to say before I run over him. Nope. Okay. No, you guys, no. I got something to share with you, Gary, having, you know, working on the client success side, I got, I got a wonderful video you're going to want to see later. Wait. <laughs> well, I'm a serial entrepreneur, Elliot. And I guess most recently was CEO of a company called RightScale that was a very early player in the cloud computing space where zero trust, you know, became very important very quickly in the hyperscale clouds, as, as you all know, as we all know. And then I had a chance to get introduced to the founder of Bitwarden, Kyle Spearin, who's now our CTO as well as founder. He, he founded the company in about 2016-ish, 2017, and grew it almost single-handedly to quite a successful early startup. And then he saw the chance to grow it to something much bigger and the need for funding to do that. So I, I got introduced to him. I fell in love with the product, the community, with Kyle. He's married, by the way, so no question there. But And just thought, hey, this... This is a really important technology that has a big community behind it, and it's differentiated by, number one, being open source, which, as we've discovered since, is a critical factor in business perception of the solutions they use in the, in the security space. It's just very simple. There are more eyes on the product and vetting it and making sure it's secure as I'm sure people know, happens in our business and industry as happened to some other players. You don't want to wonder what a company's doing with your sensitive information. And if it's open source, you can tell. He had also built it to be optional, whether you run it in the cloud or self-hosted. And, and again, just the huge community involvement as evidenced mostly, most importantly, by having a full featured free version that anybody in the world can use. And we are translated into 50 languages. For all those reasons, I fell in love with it, linked arms with him, helped raise money. And actually, a few short weeks after that, met Gary. And, and he joined. And, and now what lays ahead are some new products for us we'll get to talk about today, as well as the whole new, new frontier of passwordless authentication and that, how that will help us all. So that's my story. 
Love it. So that is a wonderful background. And I love that there's, you know, basically you're pairing your expertise in leading organizations and, you know, really helping focus your energy on scaling organizations who can use that sport because it is realistically a pretty competitive space. Now on our, our show, we certainly don't throw out names and we won't, we don't really talk about headlines and all that, but I mean, headlines are hard to avoid to an extent, but we will, we'll avoid that to the extent that we can. But obviously I think with recent news in the past, like six months, a year, maybe a little more than that, like the community definitely rallies around organizations like Bitward in particular, as you pointed out, the open source element to it. And, you know, Reddit is a unique place, but every time something comes up where they're like, Hey, we need a solution for it. I always, always, always see Bitwarden at the top of those lists where people are just rallying behind it, highly recommending it. So it's just great to be able to have that conversation with y'all and get kind of that perspective. But with all that said, Gary, let's kind of get a little bit of a rundown on your background as well, and then we'll kind of jump into it. Sure. So I've spent most of my career in the technology sector, predominantly focused on enterprise technologies and selling to companies. And one of the wonderful things about joining Bitwarden is the ability to merge that aspect of our business with the ability to cater to individuals as well. You know, when you think about the tools that we use at home and at work, there's not that many. Email, maybe messaging, maybe collaborative docs or something, maybe a couple more. But password management is actually in that category too. And it makes for a really interesting dynamic to be able to work with a product that has this 360 degree experience. How do we stay safe at home? How do we stay safe at work? It was one of the things that really appealed to me when I got introduced to the company and, and Michael and the team. Today, I lead the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. Um, and as you indicated, one of the wonderful things about Bitwarden is the amazing community that has rallied around uh, the product and the mission of helping everybody stay safe online can't be you know one person or one company that helps the entire world so we're thrilled to have folks who participate in the reddit community and other online communities pretty much just helping each other stay safe and if there's a defining characteristic of a bitwarden user it might be that they can't help wanting to help and help each other stay safe and so that's a nice aspect of the, com the community that keeps everybody together yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And as you all both had pointed out, I think the reality is the open source resources in this space are just super critical, especially like if you're a startup, having those kind of opportunities for other people to help build and, you know, be part of that conversation and be part of the narrative in general. You know, it just allows them to truly understand what they're working with. Whereas, again, try to avoid particular headlines. But, you know, when there's proprietary stuff in the mix is the only focal point. It's hard to really have that visibility until something goes south or, you know, they just decide to open up a little bit of information. But yeah, I think that transparency is a big play in there. And then, you know, coming from where Neil and I used to live in, that collective defense system, as you're pointing out here, is like, you know, this space people truly care they want their mission oriented they want to help each other but yeah neil and i can definitely speak to that probably all day about you know joining forces in the community aspect of cybersecurity in general sure you know elliot i would just add people we're very serious about the fact that our users invest a lot of trust in us and it's it's a, a responsibility and a mantle we take very seriously and something that goes very much with zero trust, the 
purpose of your podcast and the headline is zero knowledge. And, and people can, of course, confirm that by the open source architecture, but we, we don't, we design a system so that we don't get hacked, but we also design it so that if we do get hacked or breached, user information is still safe. And we can go into that more if you like, but that's around the zero knowledge architecture where fits very well with a zero trust kind of approach where even if there were to be a breach, people's sensitive info is safe. Awesome. I know real quick, I know I would personally like to go down that rabbit hole for people to better understand it. So depending where Ellie wants to take us for the next couple of minutes, I think that's going to be our lead off here in a few seconds, if not now. No, you're totally right. I was going to make you hold it bay for like a minute because <laughs> the Bitwarden team is going to be releasing new research, which I think this episode comes out slightly after that. But I'd love to you know, dig into what you're planning on dropping or will have dropped at this point. And then we will absolutely unleash Neil into that rabbit hole with y'all. So yeah, with World Password Day having come or God or here, wherever we publish this. Yeah, I'd love some insight into you know what you're seeing out there in the world. World Password Day is May 4th. And it's just a chance for us to celebrate all things passwords and passwordless. And what we've done for the last several years is a global survey in the keeping with the global holiday to understand password management habits and practices. And, and we survey just general internet users. I think the, the criteria is that you, you are an internet user. So this is a wide spectrum of people. And we've got some great data that'll be coming out for folks who want to check out more detail. They, they'll be able to go to the Bitwarden blog and see information there. Some of the interesting stats, there's a lot of excitement about passwordless technology. You know, I have a, a, a line that I like to share is, if you ask people if you like passwords, very few people will say yes. But if you ask people if they like their password manager, everybody will say yes, because the password manager helps remove the, the interaction with the passwords and, and actually makes it it's a, it's a some degree a passwordless experience when you're just logging in with your fingerprint or face ID. So new stat of 57% of people uh, excited about passwordless authentication options. That means everything from biometrics to security keys to new pass keys that are coming into the market. At the same time, what we find is that understandably people are still mm, maybe sometimes not complete in how they handle their own passwords. Uh, to the degree that they might should. So 88% of folks still reusing passwords across multiple sites, which is one of the big no-nos. You want to have un strong and unique passwords at every website you visit in case there's a problem with one. It won't affect the other. Some people still admitting that they, they do use the word password in some of their passwords, which is an easy way for somebody to get um, into your account. Also, People sharing 37% that they use easily identifiable information in their passwords, such as name of children or partners or pets. And so that's also another area where you want to make sure that your, your passwords are, are, are really random. So there's a whole bunch of data that will be available for folks to share. We also have historical surveys that are available for people who want to see that. We, we have something at Bitwarden called the Survey Room the Bitwarden survey room. And so if you just Google that, you'll get to the whole roster of research, both the new research that's coming out for World Password Day, as well as some historical surveys. So we're, we're looking forward to that, a chance to celebrate good security for all. And so, yeah, that's what's coming up there. 
Awesome. And we will obviously plug all that into the recap for this episode. And hopefully, even if we publish this after May 4th, maybe we'll do a little clip and tag that out there so we can get that in front of our audience. But with that all said, Neil, I'm ready to unleash you. Let's go down that rabbit hole. I know you've been ready to go for this conversation. So it is all yours. I have to be mindful that Elliot does actually have good thoughts and opinions and then not try to interrupt him. earlier on I'm very notorious for just steamrolling him and then he just forgives me later and I send him like a pastrami sandwich (laughs) no so that that means I'll I'll take a uh, pastrami sandwich if if you got one (laughs) (laughs) that that was in March no when we think about some of the stuff that y'all offer and like I said I wanted to come back to zero knowledge on purpose I wanted to come back to what that means for for the larger audience to understand just the implications behind that because I imagine anyone who's clicked onto a, a multimedia giant streaming service has probably gotten the adverts for their equivalency of something recently. And, and what zero knowledge really does actually mean in, in the true sense of, of both the provider as well as for my, my security and awareness. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but if you want to kind of maybe dive down into the rabbit hole with that a few more minutes, that'd be wonderful just to level set the construct a bit. Absolutely. What we're storing and allowing users to easily create, access, utilize in their day-to-day work is login credentials. There's other information too, but the basic use case is your username, which is often your email, but it could be just a username and a password. That's the most common basic login information. Sometimes there's also, for example, a time-based one-time key that can get added to that, like an authenticator key, et cetera. But because that information is so sensitive, we wanna make sure that we reduce to a minimum layer or minimum level the ability for that to get breached. And so the central concept there is that Bitwarden as a company, Bitwarden at the server level, whether it's cloud hosted by us or self-hosted by a company and a company's IT department should not be able to get to that sensitive information by itself, meaning without the user's permission. And the way that's implemented is that all of that information is only, only exists in its unencrypted state on local devices when it's being used. So when you're on a laptop, for example, and you're using the browser extension to auto log into a site or to autofill those identity form fill areas to log into a website. It's unencrypted there, but anytime else when it's transmitted to Bitwarden servers for storage, synchronizing with other devices, etc., it is locally encrypted. So that's the basis of what we mean by zero knowledge. We have no knowledge of your sensitive information not only including passwords and and login IDs, but anything else you store there, which can include passport numbers, credit card numbers, the TOTP codes, et cetera. And on top of that, we've recently implemented another layer of encrypting the encrypted information we receive. We call it multi-factor encryption. encryption. Multi-factor encryption to go with kind of multi-factor authentication, right? So it's a parallel concept. So we re-encrypt it at the server in case somebody is using a master password, which becomes the encryption key that is not very powerful. 
as we see from the survey results Gary just went through, there is a tendency for users to use simplistic passwords for the obvious reason that they're easier to remember for, for people. So that basic encryption scheme, end-to-end -end encryption, means that Bitwarden cannot get at the data. And we basically encrypt all the sensitive data. There's nothing that's unencrypted, like the URLs you visited, something like that, because our business model does not rely and we do not track users or advertise to users or harvest any data about users that we use in some other way. The sole purpose of what we do is helping you manage your passwords in a, in a healthy, secure way. No, that makes total sense from my perspective, at least. So I think that's awesome because in a general security posture, you know, zero knowledge, zero trust. They, they are, you know, very mutually inclusive of one another from an approach to security. You know, from a zero trust perspective, we talk about limiting accesses to things that only need accesses. But from a zero knowledge combination perspective, if I get onto a server and, and start trying to pivot through there, you know, it's not just a matter of access controls and where I go from there. It's also important to think about the identity of that platform and what it just tertiarily has access to just to communicate with and how visible that is during a particular session, right? So you know, zero knowledge from network traffic, zero knowledge from just general IT perspectives are, are very important. You know, I, I think moving forward a little bit with what y'all are offering and, and the goals and growth here, you know, we talk about, we'll get to passwordless security mentality here in a minute. I do like the ideas of these things a lot, but, you know, we talk about the authentication methods that build into this stuff. So from a open source project perspective, I imagine, I'm, I'm assuming there's probably a lot of buy-in for that growth, the passwordless security, given the stats that you referenced, but how much of this from from a company perspective is homegrown and how much of this is truly like crowdsourced, open source people working in tandem with y'all, not just ideas, but actually co-opting and, and, and threading things together with the company. Like most open source companies, I would say the majority of the developers, the, the software engineers that work on the code are team members at Bitwarden. They're, they're employees or, or international team members who work on the code. We do take pull requests and contributions from the community. And it's beyond just the coding. I would say the relationship with the community is multi-pronged in the sense that we get a lot of input for feature requests. We get comments on vulnerabilities that may pop up. We do run bounty, bug bounty programs. We have one at HackerOne. So there are a whole, and we get security researchers analyzing the code. So we get feedback across a number of fronts besides just the, the coding front. And I would say in that aspect, I've, I've never been at a company that had this much community involvement. And I, and I think in our category of password management, we, we definitely must be the most broadly based participation from, from any community. Well, that's awesome. So as the community grows, as the product grows, as things progress, so I'm going to take us down the passwordless piece here. So from a growth perspective, how, how important, how impactful do you see the passwordless mentality being? And then flip that a little bit. What technologies do you see being critical to the success of that mentality moving forward? 
So we think we're at the start of a lifelong journey here of different passwordless technologies. You know, even today, there are lots of great passwordless technologies, such as biometrics that can be used on your mobile phone or on your laptop, desktop devices. Security keys are another thing that's well well liked in the Bitwarden community for just that 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 extra bit of security that fits people who for whom they, they want to cover those potential attack vectors. And then, of course, the, the newest stuff that we're seeing is something called passkeys, um, which is new approach to create unique credentials for users to log into specific websites using device-specific information that, to, to, to much degree, the, the passkey replaces the password. And it, the workflows of that allow and ensure that people are creating something that's strong and unique. Just like in the password world, password world, we want to create strong and unique passwords. We want the same thing with passkeys. The good news is there's a wonderful industry standards organization, the FIDO Alliance, that's helping push a lot of this forward. FIDO2 specification, WebAuthn specification. Uh, Bitwarden is a, a member of this group and contributing actively to all of these fronts. And uh, we just think we're going to see a lot more of that support, both of you know the things I mentioned earlier and the passkey support, both at Bitwarden and at you know websites around the world. Another thing I'll add is that as part of the bigger picture of recognizing this movement to passwordless technologies, earlier this year Bitwarden announced a acquisition of a company called Passwordless.dev, and the main product there is the ability to help developers instrument passwordless authentication for their applications with just a few lines of code. And so sort of we know lots of people are going to want to implement passwordless technologies for their websites and their user bases, and Bitwarden Passwordless.dev is going to help them do that. So that's a high-level overview, and we can certainly dig into more details in different areas. Or Michael, I don't know if you wanted to add something into that. I just add a word about the journey that you mentioned at the very beginning. This is going to be a journey over a long time frame, this transition into passwordless. And the important thing about our vision, we're not strongly opinionated about, you know, you hear companies saying, kill the password and we got to go 100% this way and that way. Our view is very practical. All of us are going to live in a world where we're going to have to authenticate with services and apps to do our work, to live our lives, some of which are password-based, and it's gonna be that way for some of them for years to come, and some of which are various kinds of password-less technologies. And the, the vision for Bitwarden is let's help people use the best, most secure, easiest way to authenticate, regardless of what context they find themselves in. As things move to passwordless, let's support people 100% and, and make sure that's easy and whatnot, and have the same tool help them on a password-based site the way it does today so that people don't need to think about it so much. But it's a, a seamless transition, and you're covered everywhere, in effect. That's cool. So on diving into a particular flavor, we talk about passkey structure and you know, virtualized login creds, whatever on the fly type things, you know, credit card companies have that as a construct, right? For credit card procurement, especially if you're using your phone, 
Visa, MasterCard, both do that. If you want them to, you have to opt in and you have to take advantage of the process flow. So I, I'm a big fan of the idea of, of that one-time use legit login, whether it's something you spin up and you still type it in, or whether it's just some kind of legit, true passwordless mentality, pass through, login, authent, some other way, right? I love push notifications. I love the ability to, you know, pick in your actual physical key and do things automatic and programmatically that way. So I guess my, my question on that sense, you know, the, the push for that idea to where, you know, things like, like phishing sites and stuff like that, and hopefully to some extent, some of the, the more Becky type things, business email, compromise type stuff, where you outlook through six, five type your credits and congratulations, your CEO now sends out a million emails. I like the idea of how that literally helps mitigate that basic construct, right? No, it's kind of fun because then it puts more focus on targeting the individual, which in theory, you know, from a, a more direct approach to social engineer, then becomes a lot harder because there's other echelons of things you have to consume to be able to do this now, right? And whether it's devices or other aspects of things. So on that vein, you know, how do y'all feel about that hierarchy? And do y'all think from an escalation perspective where we're going to have to pay attention in the, in the attack stream and, and exploitation efforts, you know? We go passwordless, but what do we think might be some of the concerns therein or ways to worry a little bit more, I guess? So I think one important thing to understand about the discussion about passwordless is that at some level, in a very simple terms, passwordless isn't. There's still a credential, if you will. There's still a key. It's now it's called a pass key. There are many attributes about it that are better than passwords, the biggest one being users don't need to remember it. It's generated, stored, ma managed in an automatic way by your face ID or touch ID, Android biometrics, like security key, other things like that. So it, it fits the bill of a strong, unique password that you don't need to remember. It's also good because you can coordinate both sides and have more than one passkey allow authentication and access to an app or service, which starts to get at what you're talking about, where you can, you don't not just have a single credential to get into something, but it can be more context-based or situation-based. One of the challenges that, that pops up is that the big proponents of this are, are the large software companies that, that have big software ecosystems, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and they're helping accelerate the adoption of pass keys. But what's not so much in their interest, we believe, is supporting the portability and interoperability across platforms. They, they tend to be focused on serving the population within their walled garden or ecosystem. And so one role for a company like Bitwarden is to support that interoperability, that multi-platform aspect for pass keys, just as we do with passwords today. We operate across basically Mac OS, Linux, Windows, Android, you know, iOS, a host of browsers, an API, LI, command line interface, etc. You need to be able to get at it wherever and whenever you need it, when you're traveling, when you're not. So, but I do think that once you start to solve those problems, you get a much more secure solution because again the strong unique credential in this case a passkey 
or multiple of those per site is guaranteed in the in the passwordless approach. And then where the areas that that come into play are different areas, like is in the very early days of Face ID, people were trying to construct models of faces and see how much they had to plaster on to get a match and things like things like that. So the same principles still apply around just the vulnerability points shift. Also, lot on most of these platforms, the pass keys themselves are, are saved in the secure vault on the device. So keychain or the equivalent on Windows, keychain on Apple, etc. And that that is typically a very safe place to store them, but that comes into play too in terms of, of where are the vulnerability points. So I don't think they're... And, then you get sensitivities by users, people who don't want their face used for face ID or, you know, get into paranoid situations about how your fingerprint might be used without your consent and things like that. So I think it is a big leap forward, but it's not without its weak points. In no, fact, fair uh, enough. Yeah. I was just going to say there's a stat we have in the upcoming survey because while the large number of people are super excited about passwordless authentication. 55% prefer to use their memory over their fingerprint or their face. And 36% were worried about that fingerprint or face ID being used against them. And so for the people who I might put on the more conservative side of the security profiles, they don't want biometrics to be unlocking their universe. They want their own specific brain to, to be doing that. So now, granted, for most people in their day-to-day -day business, it's a different story. They want as much you know, taken away from them and streamlined as possible. And you know, at Bitward, we, we, we try to reach a broad number of people and have these solutions that can fit the way that you want to instrument your own security profile. No, I uh, those are fair points. So I think both y'all hitting on on the bigger picture is is that at the end of the day, it's still some kind of digitized fingerprint, right? It, whether it's your actual fingerprint or password that you type in, it's still something that has to be captured and something that has to be replayed, encrypted, decrypted, the whole nine yards. And so I think that's one of the fun, fascinating things for me is that you know we make it easier for the user that there's levels of complexity and what can still be targeted at that point. But at the end of the day, for a threat actor, it, it's still a repo and it's still something that ultimately is still a credential of some sort. And we find a way to replay it. We find a way to replay it. But I think putting back onto the zero trust flow, that's where the multiple echelons of this. So first up, zero knowledge, very important because, you know, for y'all, you know, not having access and awareness of what actually it is that it that ID is or how it's being applied or where it's going to or attached to sites. Those are all big things because then it limits my opportunity as a as some kind of threat to actively engage purposefully and intentfully against specific sites. And then secondarily, you know, from the growth perspective, we tie this back to ZT, you know, session specific constructs. Again, I love the idea in a zero trust perspective because as a developer and engineer, to your point, you have the same website, but you probably have five or six different ways you have to log into it to interact with it on given things. And each one of those profiles can have segregated security settings. So if it's just a generic, you know, customer facing interface, so you can check to make sure the UI looks pretty sure we can log into that through China. But if it's the dev site that you're managing, right, maybe not necessarily a good idea, depending on where you're officially located, right? So I, I like the 
cohesiveness of the idea of pass keys or the constructs of those single use digitized efforts. And then we tie that back into the larger picture of zero trust and start thinking about identity access management as a broader term, right? Um, so for y'all playing into that world and thinking about zero trust methodologies, you know, I, I, I think the bridge is pretty straightforward, but can y'all kind of talk about y'all's kind of thoughts and flows from how y'all approach identity access and where y'all see it purposely playing into zero trust mentality and, and, you know, s support and growth and all that other stuff that goes along with that, I guess. It's a very high sure. level question with a lot of little things we could talk about. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take a first swipe at it. And, and I, th to start out, I think it's going to be a, a process that evolves in different eras and epochs of sophistication. But to kind of go back to the beginning, I think we all know, look, the concept of zero trust probably goes back to the 1990s. I think somebody wrote a PhD thesis on it and it's taken a lot of years for it to become as mainstream as it is today. Probably in the early years, I thought zero trust was a characteristic of a romantic relationship that had gone bad. But it, it really came more into the fore as I was doing the cloud computing stuff. And then when I joined Bitwarden, which is intentionally a 100% remote company, we're living it every day. And this also happened because of the pandemic is so much work. It was accelerated to be done in a remote context that it was necessarily either zero trust or not very secure because the network perimeter just is blown up pretty much in that, in that scenario. So I think the first level of how this works is that password management is a super valuable first step in the zero trust, zero knowledge movement, because it is what facilitates a secure identification that gets you into a single access with least privileged access, which is controlled on the other side, right? But it depends on a unique login at a unique moment that may expire after a while. Bitwarden, for example, has unlock, lockout timeouts and things like that. And so our whole system is built to kind of enable at a very initial basic level, people to, to work with zero trust within zero trust architectures and with zero trust systems. So to me, that's the starting point is that people should realize, and, and this is a world where we get into a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt of, you know, hacks are, we read about them every day. Everything's getting breached. And identity theft, and I'm always at risk. And yet the people still use the word password in their passwords, right? So we've got this weird dissonance going on between the fear that we know is there and what we actually practice. And I, and I would just double click it. It seems kind of obvious, but using a password manager is the first important step there. And it gains you a huge amount of security. A second step would be add MFA, add multi-factor authentication. If you do both those things and use them properly and rely on the password manager to create unique credentials and passwords for every site that you visit, there's a huge amount of security taken care of right there. Beyond that, Gary, anything you wanna add? Yeah, well, for those who are really interested in taking this further, another great tool in the toolbox is email aliases. 
And of course, there's a lot of affinity in the Bitwarden community for email aliases, so much so that we actually integrated with five email alias services so that when you're creating a new login for a website that you might be signing up with, you can create your email alias through Bitwarden uh, for your favorite site. And we integrated with Simple Login, which is now part of ProtonMail, Anon Addy, open source solution, Firefox Relay, FastMail, and DuckDuckGo recently introduced an email alias service. And all of the uh, integrate with Bitwarden and allow you not only to have a strong and unique password for that website that you might be interacting with, but a unique email address. Uh, so again, for the folks who want to, you know, just keep carrying forward, I would take a look at the those email alias services, pick, pick a favorite. Several of them have free options and uh, just give you yourself another added layer of protection. One, one other thing I'd add, and I know you're asking beyond what we just mentioned, the more context specific, not just per website, but for example, location or, you know, something that rotates all the time. The obvious first one is a time-based one-time passcode that is changing every 30 seconds. And of course, anything that works like that has to be coordinated on both sides, on the app or service side, as well as the client. And that's a special feature of Bitwarden where you can either use your phone and, and take a picture of the scan code or enter the seed for the TOTP code. And Bitwarden will then also remember and generate that as an extra layer of security. And it's, of course, a, a version of, of MFA. But if a, a company is installing Bitwarden and if they like what some of our companies have done is there's a feature you can turn on that, that allows a company to have audit entries about what's going on in the password management system. The company can't see the actual credentials, but they can see things like the IP address that is logging in. And using that and some geolocation, they can do things like calculate impossible travel, a concept that's popular in security circles. What, what it means is two logins happening, with, as you know, within a certain time frame that is impossible for a person to have gone from location one to location two. They're traveling more than a thousand miles an hour or something like that. And <clears throat> they can kick those out for security personnel to take a look at and investigate. And as you also mentioned, you know, when do you want to have tighter controls on certain geographical areas? We all know where most of the hacking in the world comes from in general terms. And, and so those are, doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to kind of figure out that that's something you should watch for. Geofencing is a very fun topic as well and how to apply those things. I think it's critical as are several things for zero trust and, and identity access control as a whole. The, the email aliases approach. I I'm also, I, I love that. I have, I'm, I take advantage of that as well for multiple reasons. So good, good insights. So, so I appreciate that. I, I think for those, once again, looking for an email as program, Proton Mail is a very good open source alternative to name a few names in that sense around the same vein. So Gary, I did kind of have maybe a little thought flow question for you, being that you're on the sales CS side as, as the wholehearted. 
So when you interact with the client base, when you're, whether it's enterprise or whatever echelon you're personally directly interacting or receiving constructs from, you know, how, how important is it to you in these conversations that they fully understand what it means to be an open source re or an open source platform for them? It tends to be very important for both uh, our individual users as well as our business users. Because I think both of those constituents want to have a, a sense of trust in using the solution. And we cannot think of a better way to establish trust than through an open source architecture. And I, a lot of people have rallied around that cause. Sometimes it can be counterintuitive to people the first time if you're not familiar with Open source software say, well, gee, how, how does that work? And, and the answer is that the, the transparency that an open source architecture provides is in a different league compared to a proprietary closed solution. And it is in many ways the only way that you can establish a platform of mutual trust. We actually spend time every year in December with an event that we call the Open Source Security Summit, which is specifically designed to discuss and educate and learn and explore areas why the intersection of open source and security is so important to establishing trust. We've had some wonderful speakers there in the past, including the CEO of HackerOne and CEOs of other open source companies as well as fun folks in the security area and and few technologists like Steve Wozniak who joined us one year. But the but the the part of that event is rallying around and understanding that that open source is the gateway to establishing the most transparent and trustworthy solution. And it, it's a big part of part of Bitwarden and I think it's really important to both combination of individual users and our business users. Thank you. Michael, anything else you want to add from your perspective? Well, and you know, some people, as Gary said, that are early to the concept, maybe it's worth describing some of the justifications used to be used in the past for the other closed source, closed source approach, which is a concept called security through obscurity. Meaning if somebody can't see what I'm doing, it's somehow more secure. On the face of it, that makes sense. But I think that concept has largely gone by the wayside. And there's certainly plenty of evidence that projects that are closed source are far from immune from the you know vulnerabilities and security issues that we all have. I think the big difference is just that we're open kimono about it. And by the way, that comes, that is not always a love fest. It, it comes with a whole variety of opinions. I mean, we are basically inviting anyone to say anything they want about what we do. And that's a big step. And it, it's more than just publishing your source code on GitHub. It's a way of having a relationship with people and responding to them and taking what they say seriously. And, and so it's not for the faint hearted. And I, I just count myself lucky. It's been educational for me, but also very stimulating. And, and I'm full of gratitude that I did get introduced to Kyle and had a chance to join a company that is taking that approach. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of open source projects in general. And I, I love that you brought up security through obscurity, because like you mentioned, I agree that, that that's gone by the wayside. 
you know, everybody, we have the commercials to prove this, I think a little bit from our two favorite computer com companies from 15, 20 years ago. I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. I don't do things oh. as bad as PC, but nowadays it's tit for tat almost for at least for the volume. But I'm, I'm, I'm a Linux guy by trade. You know, I, I've cut my teeth on that back in the day, like any good wannabe hacker and cracker. So open source for me is always a win. The trust in the community is a big thing when it's there. You know, the, to your point though, there's things that people can take advantage of and there are always people looking to blatantly exploit it. But for me, I think the power of the community at large is when there is that persona out there, whether they're surreptitiously creating exploit paths or whatever it is, the fix and the awareness of it, I think is just drastically quicker because people are very fixated as being part of these open source communities, very fixated on the well-being of that community. Even, you know, even if it's five people for a project that's supporting 5 million, those five people are still very hyper fixated, right? So that's the nicety. You don't have to wait every patch Tuesday for something to happen. You don't have to wait 30 days later for a responsible disclosure. It's there and people are already ingrained in solutioning that, that concern. So real quick, anything from y'all's perspective, anything else y'all would like to add from a, a growth perspective for the identity access manager work? You know, we talked about the passwordless security environment a little bit. We talked about the impacts of that. You know, the combination of zero knowledge with true zero trust mentality and what that flows. Was there anything else that y'all would like to kind of throw out there from Bitwarden's perspective? Yes, thanks for asking. There is one thing I'd add, and perhaps Gary will have others. And that is we talked at the beginning about passwords and pass keys and how at the bottom there needs to be some sort of secure credential. We have just released in a free beta a new product called Bitwarden Secrets Manager. And that's a tool for developers that's analogous to the way password management is used by all of us as, as end users of web apps and services. This is what developers use to work with the secrets that they need to access and utilize that are used in software development. For example, most websites that we visit have multiple components. They've got a web server back in the background and an app server and a database server. And as those components come up, they have to authenticate with each other. God forbid there's a database server out there that just gives out data to whoever, <laughs> whoever asks for it. You got to authenticate there. And so that process is, is somewhat analogous to the authentication with passwords. And that's what Bitwarden Secrets Manager does. It manages secrets for developers. It's just out in beta in the last few weeks. There's Gary, you can help me with where people can find it on the website. There's a link from the homepage. Yeah, can I just say how awesome that is? Because as a guy who used to be into the development side of the house or have a lot of things, you know, I'm old school where I had my little encrypted file that I personally built out. But then when I get a new system or I forget to back that up or I forget where it was at, you know, trying to remember where I stored that stupid file or just having lost it. Or, yeah. or even worse, I mean, some of the breaches we've seen recently are because engineers put the credential right in the source code that then got published on GitHub. Oh my gosh. That's really, you know, obviously not intentional, but that's what's at risk there. I, I will say it's amazing to me in, in 22, 23 years of doing cybersecurity intel and stuff like this. I took some open source classes before OSINT were the thing in the early 2000s. And one of the very first things they taught us was to look at the source code of a website to see if they had put <laughs> things in, you know, in the HTML encoding or whatever for the page 
And early 2000s, you know, it was a gold mine. You'd find all sorts of wonderful things in there. And then now we flash forward. We had a good, I think we had a good run on GitHub for a couple of years where it wasn't as blatant, but now we're kind of coming back into it, aren't we? It's but, challenging. It's it's like password use. I, I Nobody's intentional about this stuff, but, and, and we all know the right rules, but I would say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak sometimes. True story. I'll tell you, I'm going to throw it back over to Elliot and see if he's got anything else for us before we close out. Absolutely. So I want to, obviously we're basically living in the future and you guys are technologists living on that cutting edge. I'd love to just kind of pick your brain and vision. Maybe it aligns the product roadmap. Maybe it doesn't, but you know, five, 10 years from now, what do you feel like we'll see is drastically different from today? Obviously again, password reuse is highly problematic. Do you feel like we're going to move more towards like people are just going to give up and biometrics are the, the way forward? Or, you know, is there going to maybe be some, some magic bullet where we just don't see passwords? Love just your perspective on like what might change in the next five to 10 years. You want to give that a stab, Gary? Sure. For the people who want to be finished with passwords, I think that's coming quickly. And the technology and the industry standards is going to be there uh, to help people through that process. And Bitwarden's going to be right there to help people with them as well. That I think is the, the, the incentives on behalf of the software and website providers and the desires from the users is too strong. And in good, good way, the standards are now here. The industry has formed around the FIDO Alliance and we're gonna see that stuff happening very quickly in 2023 and beyond. There will also be a group who is going to want more control. And they're going to specifically want more control across what we might refer to as, you know, not being reliant or dependent on the megacorps that are out there and are going to want to be the folks who are controlling their data and their online identities. And I think that's also a place uh, where Bitward will be to help those folks as well. So I guess we're going to see both spectrums of that, lots of advancements, the ability to not worry about it for the average consumer but also the ability to control it and own it and architect it for the people who want to do that. Very cool. Michael, anything that you want to throw into that? Sure. I mean, you can look at the statistics there. There's a lot of work to be done just in the password-based world uh, before moving to passwordless or those who don't or sites that don't support it. You know, one of the ways I think about it, we're very business-focused in our customer base, but we also have end users. I hear stories about people helping their mother get set up on Bitwarden. And what they're essentially doing is overcoming these statistics of bad hygiene with regard to passwords. So there's still a ways for us to continue to work on making that easier and easier for people to protect themselves. It's the old trade-off of security and convenience. And we are, are not going to give up until we make the balance so far in favor of convenience that that the security is also there. Yeah, that that definitely speaks a little too close to home. Neil, I don't know if you have any fun stories about setting up family, but 
my mom in particular is notoriously anti-technology it like it will break if you touch a computer around here but setting her up on a password manager was one of those big wins for the entire family so <laughs> i feel like all of our listeners can speak to that too because they become like the de facto it person in the family if like you know i'm in cybersecurity. oh you know how to fix my computer i gotcha uh, so yeah we definitely hear plenty of that stuff um, i i yeah. shortchanged that i installed snort came out with a wonderful little inline device about this big many years ago that you could load up plug in line to your home wi-fi or internet connection whichever side you wanted to put it on so i put that on my dad's so i i control pretty much everything he sees and doesn't see and then i get i get notifications and it's you know it's an ids so it's nothing massively prolific because it's also very tiny but it gets the job done and so if my dad you know i can monitor outbound inbound and if I feel like my dad's stuff has been compromised, I can lock it completely, like the internet side down anyways, so then everything stops. And he's had this happen a couple of times where his cell phone no longer connected directly through the wireless and he had to turn it on the other way. And like, Dad, the internet stops working. Just you stop working <laughs> and give me a call on the landline, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to shortchange the things. We haven't gone down the password piece yet. That I probably should, so who knows? Well, Neil and Elliot, you're both good sons. That's what I'd say. <laughs> well, I uh, look at it as not too altruistic in nature because when the man finally kills over, if he's got a bunch of malware and stuff on all the devices, that's just crap I have to sort through <laughs> at a later date when I'm trying to figure out what I keep and don't keep. So, no. Your story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. You know, it's whatever. Back to your point. It's whatever the lowest common denominator of ease is for that user, and that's what they're always going to fall back to. My dad logs into like three different things and that's it he's 99 percent of the time reading from a single email shocker he only has one email unlike some of us who have like fifty thousand, uh, all the other fun stuff so it's pretty easy but michael gary thank you all once again for the conversations and the fun stuff on here i, I want to be mindful of our our clock here so elliot back back to you to, i guess wrap things up you're very close now. We're good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm going to double down on Neil. Thank you so much for joining, Michael Gary. Really appreciate your insight and expertise and being able to chat with our, our listeners and audience. But, you know, we will definitely link towards that new research that you've dropped. Hopefully get ahead of the episode, too. But, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your perspective. And I know, again, this was just an area that Neil has been really interested in chatting with. So, he. He's smiling down in there somewhere. But yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, our pleasure. Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to adoptingzerotrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.